World History, Chapter 2, Section 2, Page 35. Setting the Stage To the west of the Fertile Crescent in Africa, another river makes its way to the sea. While Sumerian civilization was on the rise, a similar process took place along the banks of this river, the Nile, in Egypt. Yet the Egyptian civilization turned out to be very different from the collection of city-states in Mesopotamia. Early on, Egypt was united into a single kingdom, which allowed it to enjoy a high degree of unity, stability, and cultural continuity over a period of 3,000 years. The Geography of Egypt From the highlands of East Africa to the Mediterranean Sea, the Nile River flows northward across Africa for over 4,100 miles, making it the longest river in the world. A thin ribbon of water in a parched desert land, the great river brings its water to Egypt from distant mountains, plateaus, and lakes in present-day Burundi, Tanzania, Uganda, and Ethiopia. Egypt's settlements arose along the Nile on a narrow strip of land made fertile by the river. The change from fertile soil to desert, from the black land to the red land, was so abrupt that a person could stand with one foot in each the gift of the Nile. As in Mesopotamia, yearly flooding brought the water and rich soil that allowed settlements to grow. Every year in July, rains and melting snow from the mountains of East Africa caused the Nile River to rise and spill over its banks. When the river receded in October, it left behind a rich deposit of fertile black mud called silt. Before the scorching sun could dry out the soil, the peasants would prepare their wheat and barley fields. All fall and winter, they watered their crops from a network of irrigation ditches. In an otherwise parched land, the abundance they brought by the Nile was so great that the Egyptians worshipped it as a god who gave life and seldom turned against them. As the ancient Greek historian Herodotus remarked in the 5th century BC, Egypt was the gift of the Nile. Environmental Challenges Egyptian farmers were much more fortunate than the villagers of Mesopotamia. Compared to the unpredictable Tigris and Euphrates rivers, the Nile was as regular as clockwork. Even so, life in Egypt had its risks. Page 36 When the Nile's floodwaters were just a few feet lower than normal, the amount of fresh silt and water for crops was greatly reduced. Thousands of people starved. When floodwaters were a few feet higher than usual, the unwanted water destroyed houses, granaries, and the precious seeds that farmers needed for planting. The vast and forbidding deserts on either side of the Nile acted as natural barriers between Egypt and other lands. They forced Egyptians to live on a very small portion of the land and reduced interactions with other people. However, the deserts shut out invaders. For much of its early history, Egypt was spared the constant warfare that plagued the Fertile Crescent. Upper and Lower Egypt Ancient Egyptians lived along the Nile from the mouth well into the interior of Africa. River travel was common, but it ended at the point in the Nile where boulders turned the river into churning rapids called a cataract. This made it impossible for riverboats to pass this spot known as the first cataract, to continue upstream south to the interior of Africa. Between the first cataract and the Mediterranean lay two very different regions. Because its elevation is higher, the river area in the south is called Upper Egypt. 
It is a skinny strip of land from the first cataract to the point where the river starts to fan out into many branches. To the north, near the sea, Lower Egypt includes the Nile Delta region. The delta begins about 100 miles before the river enters the Mediterranean. The delta is a broad, marshy, triangular area of land formed by deposits of silt at the mouth of the river. Page 37. The Nile provided a reliable system of transportation between Upper and Lower Egypt. The Nile flows north, so northbound boats simply drifted with the current. Southbound boats hoisted a wide sail. The prevailing winds of Egypt blow from north to south, carrying sailboats against the river current. The ease of contact made possible by this watery highway helped unify Egypt's villages and promote trade. Egypt unites into a kingdom. Egyptians lived in farming villages as far back as 5000 BC, perhaps even earlier. Each village had its own rituals, gods, and chieftain. By 3200 BC, the villages of Egypt were under the rule of two separate kingdoms, Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt. Eventually, the two kingdoms were united. There is conflicting historical evidence over who united Lower and Upper Egypt. Some evidence points to a king called Scorpion. More solid evidence points to a king called Narmer. The king of Lower Egypt wore a red crown and the king of Upper Egypt wore a tall white crown shaped like a bowling pin. A carved piece of slate known as the Narmer palette shows Narmer wearing the crown of Lower Egypt on one side and the crown of Upper Egypt on the other side. Some scholars believe the palette celebrates the unification of Egypt around 3000 BC. Narmer created a double crown from the red and white crowns. It symbolized a united kingdom. He shrewdly settled his capital, Memphis, near the spot where Upper and Lower Egypt met and established the first Egyptian dynasty. Eventually, the history of ancient Egypt would consist of 31 dynasties spanning 2,600 years. Historians suggest that the pattern for Egypt's great civilization was set during the period from 3200 to 2700 BC. The period from 2660 to 2180 BC, known as the Old Kingdom, marks a time when these patterns became widespread. Pharaoh's Rule as Gods The role of the king was one striking difference between Egypt and Mesopotamia. In Mesopotamia, kings were considered to be representatives of the gods. To the Egyptians, kings were gods. The Egyptian god kings, called pharaohs, were thought to be almost as splendid and powerful as the gods of the heavens. This type of government, in which rule is based on religious authority, is called theocracy. The pharaohs stood at the center of Egypt's religion as well as its government and army. Egyptians believed that the pharaoh bore full responsibility for the kingdom's well-being. It was the pharaoh who caused the sun to rise, the Nile to flood, and the crops to grow. It was the pharaoh's duty to promote truth and justice. Builders of the Pyramids Egyptians believed that their king ruled even after his death. He had an eternal life force, or Ka, which continued to take part in the governing of Egypt. In the Egyptians' mind, the Ka remained much like a living king in its needs and pleasures. Since kings expected to reign forever, their tombs were even more important than their palaces.
For the kings of the old kingdom, the resting place after death was an immense structure called a pyramid. The old kingdom was the great age of pyramid building in ancient Egypt. Page 38. These magnificent monuments were remarkable engineering achievements built by people who had not even begun to use the wheel. Unlike the Sumerians, however, the Egyptians did have a good supply of stone, both granite and limestone. For the Great Pyramid of Giza, for example, the limestone facing was quarried just across the Nile. Each perfectly cut stone block weighed at least two and a half tons. Some weighed 15 tons. More than two million of these blocks were stacked with precision to a height of 481 feet. The entire structure covered more than 13 acres. The pyramids also reflect the strength of the Egyptian civilization. They show that old kingdom dynasties had developed the economic strength and technological means to support massive public work projects as well as the leadership and government organization to carry them out. Egyptian Culture With nature so much in their favor, Egyptians tended to approach life more confidently and optimistically than their neighbors in the Fertile Crescent. Religion played an important role in the lives of Egyptians. Religion and Life Like the Mesopotamians, the early Egyptians were polytheistic, believing in many gods. The most important gods were Re, the sun god, and Osiris, the god of the dead. The most important goddess was Isis, who represented the ideal mother and wife. In all, Egyptians worshipped more than 2,000 gods and goddesses. They built huge temples to honor the major deities. In contrast to the Mesopotamians, with their bleak view of death, Egyptians believed in an afterlife, a life that continued after death. Egyptians believed that they would be judged for their deeds when they died. Anubis, god and guide of the underworld, would weigh each dead person's heart. To win eternal life, the heart could be no heavier than a feather. If the heart tipped the scale, showing that it was heavy with sin, a fierce beast, known as the devourer of souls, would pounce on the impure heart and gobble it up. But if the soul passed this test for purity and truth, it would live forever in the beautiful other world. People of all classes planned for their burials so that they might safely reach the other world. Kings and queens built great tombs, such as the pyramid, and other Egyptians built smaller tombs. Royal and elite Egyptians' bodies were preserved by mummification, which involves embalming and drying the corpse to prevent it from decaying. Scholars still accept Herodotus's description of the process of mummification as one of the methods used by Egyptians. Primary source. First, they draw out the brains through the nostrils with an iron hook. Then, with a sharp stone, they make an incision in the side and take out all the bowels. Then, having filled the belly with pure myrrh, cassia, and other perfumes, they sew it up again. And when they have done this, they steep it in natron, a mineral salt, leaving it under for 70 days. At the end of 70 days, they wash the corpse and wrap the whole body in bandages of, wo of waxen cloth. Attendants placed the mummy in a coffin inside a tomb. Then they filled the tomb with items the dead person could use in the afterlife, such as clothing, food, cosmetics, and jewelry. Many Egyptians purchased scrolls that contained hymns, prayers, and magic spells intended to guide the soul in the afterlife.
This collection of texts is known as the Book of the Dead. I'm skipping the History in Depth page and moving to the page that begins Life in Egyptian Society on page 40. Life in Egyptian Society. Like the grand monuments to the kings, Egyptian society formed a pyramid. The king, queen, and royal family stood at the top. Below them were the other members of the upper class, which included wealthy landowners, government officials, priests, and army commanders. The next tier of the pyramid was the middle class, which included merchants and artisans. At the base of the pyramid was the lower class, by far the largest class. It contained, consisted of peasant farmers and laborers. In the later periods of Egyptian history, slavery became a widespread source of labor. Slaves, usually captives from foreign wars, served in the homes of the rich or toiled endlessly in the gold mines of Upper Egypt. The Egyptians were not locked into their social classes. Lower and middle-class Egyptians could gain higher status through marriage or success in their jobs. Even some slaves could ho hope to earn their freedom as a reward for their loyal service. To win the highest positions, people had to be able to read and write. Once a person had these skills, many careers were open in the army, the royal treasury, the priesthood, and the king's court. Women in Egypt held many of the same rights as men. For example, a wealthy or middle-class woman could own and trade property. She could propose marriage or seek divorce. If she were granted a divorce, she would be entitled to one-third of the couple's property. Egyptian writing. As in Mesopotamia, the development of writing was one of the keys to the growth of Egyptian civilization. Simple pictographs were the earliest form of writing in Egypt, but scribes quickly developed a more flexible writing system called hieroglyphics. This term comes from the Greek words hieros and glyph, meaning sacred carving. As with Sumerian cuneiform writing, the earliest form of hieroglyphic writing, a picture stood for an idea. For instance, a picture of a man stood for the idea of a man. In time, the system changed so that pictures stood for sounds as well as ideas. The owl, for example, stood for an M sound or for the bird itself. Hieroglyphs could be used almost like letters of the alphabet. Although hieroglyphs were first written on stone and clay, as in Mesopotamia, the Egyptians soon invented a better writing surface, papyrus reeds. These grew in the marshy delta. The Egyptians split the reeds into narrow strips, placed them crosswise in two layers, dampened them, and then pressed them. As the papyrus dried, the plant's sap glued the strips together into a paper-like sheet. Egyptian science and technology. Practical needs led to many Egyptian inventions. For example, the Egyptians developed a calendar to help them keep track of the time between floods and to plan their planting season. Priests observed that the same star, Sirius, appeared above the eastern horizon just before the floods came. Page 41. They calculated the number of days between one rising of the star and the next as 365 days, a solar year. They divided this year into 12 months of 30 days each and added five days for holidays and feasting. This calendar was so accurate that it fell short of the true solar year by only six hours. Egyptians developed a system of written numbers for counting, adding, and subtracting. The system would have helped to assess and collect taxes. 
Scribes used an early form of geometry to survey and reset property boundaries after the annual floods. Mathematical knowledge helped Egypt's skillful engineers and architects make accurate measurements to construct their remarkable pyramids and palaces. Egyptian architects were the first to use stone columns in homes, palaces, and temples. Egyptian medicine was also famous in the ancient world. Egyptian doctors knew how to check a person's heart rate by feeling for a pulse in different parts of the body. They set broken bones with splints and had effective treatments for wounds and fevers. They also used surgery to treat some conditions. Invaders control Egypt. The power of the pharaohs declined about 2180 BC, marking the end of the Old Kingdom. Strong pharaohs regained control during the Middle Kingdom, 2040 to 1640 BC, and restored law and order. They improved trade and transportation by digging a canal from the Nile to the Red Sea. They built huge dikes to trap and channel the Nile's floodwaters for irrigation. They also created thousands of new acres of farmland by draining the swamps of Lower Egypt. The prosperity of the Middle Kingdom did not last. In about 1640 BC, a group from the area of Palestine moved across the Isthmus of Suez into Egypt. These people were known as the Hyksos, which meant the rulers of foreign lands. The Hyksos ruled much of Egypt from 13, 1630 to 1523 BC. Egypt would rise again for a new period of power and glory, the New Kingdom, which is discussed in Chapter 4. During approximately the same time period as the Old Kingdom and Middle Kingdom existed in Egypt, civilization was emerging in the Indus River Valley.